Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more on our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. This episode provides audio abstracts of papers published in the November 2023 issue of SIR's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. You can find the full papers on jvir.org. My name is Ramel Noche, and I'm your host for this episode. Hello, my name is Dr. Jeremy Brown, and I am a transitional year resident at Coea Health Medical Center in Visalia, California. I will be reading the abstract titled, Added Value of Cone Beam CT to Identify Arterial Supply During Genicular Artery Embolization for Knee Osteoarthritis by Kusumano and colleagues. Purpose. To evaluate if the addition of cone beam CT to digital subtraction angiography, or DSA, improves the identification of the genicular arteries during genicular artery embolization, or GAE, for knee pain secondary to osteoarthritis. Materials and Methods This single-center study retrospectively analyzed 222 patients who underwent GAE for painful knee osteoarthritis between May 2018 and April 2022. Intraprocedural cone beam CT and DSA images were reviewed independently by two sets of interventional radiologists. DSA was performed for all patients. Technically adequate cone beam CT was available for 205 patients, or 92.3%. The presence of the genicular arteries identified by cone beam CT and DSA was compared using phi coefficients. Embolization targets identified by both cone beam CT and DSA were evaluated against those identified by DSA alone. Results. Genicular arteries with the highest concordance between cone beam CT and DSA were the inferior lateral, superior lateral, and superior medial genicular arteries. Cone beam CT demonstrated higher rates of detection of the inferior medial and median genicular arteries. Meanwhile, genicular arteries less frequently identified by cone beam CT were the descending genicular, superior patellar, and recurrent anterior tibial arteries. Cone beam CT in combination with DSA identified 13.4% more targets compared to DSA alone. Conclusions Based on the results of the current study, cone beam CT serves as a valuable adjunct for visualizing the genicular arteries during GAE, and together with DSA, identifies more potential embolization targets. Hello, my name is Isabel Barbosa, and I am a third-year medical student at Frank H. Schneider MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. I will be reading the abstract titled, Direct Thrombectomy versus Bridging Thrombectomy Within Six Hours of Stroke Onset a prospective cohort study on cognitive and physical function outcomes by Lee and colleagues. Purpose. To evaluate the physical and cognitive functions of patients with stroke who underwent either direct or bridging thrombectomy within six hours of stroke onset. Materials and methods. Patients with large vessel occlusion and anterior circulation treated with direct thrombectomy in the direct group or bridging thrombectomy in the bridging group were prospectively analyzed between June 2020 and February 2022. The efficacy outcome was the three-month modified Rankin scale, or MRS score. The safety outcome was symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage, 
and cognitive function was assessed using the clinical dementia rating or CDR scale at six months after stroke. Results. A total of 125 patients with 75 in the direct group and 50 in the bridging group who had completed follow-up at three months by telephone call were included. No significant differences were observed between the direct and bridging groups in terms of an MRS score of 0 to 2, an MRS score of 0 to 3, symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage, or three-month all-cause mortality. 69 patients with 38 in the direct group and 31 in the bridging group completed the CDR assessment at six months after stroke. There was no significant difference in post-stroke dementia, defined as a CDR score of greater than or equal to one point, between the direct group and bridging group. Ordinal regression analyses show that the CDR score at six months was not associated with treatment type. Conclusions. With regard to physical and cognitive functions at three and six months, direct thrombectomy was comparable with bridging thrombectomy in patients who were treated within six hours of stroke onset. Hello, my name is Nicole Kim, and I am a fourth-year medical student at the Warren Albert Medical School of Brown University. I will be reading the abstract titled, Outcomes Following Exchange and Upsizing of Malfunctioning Small-Caliber Double-J Ureteral Stents by Hung and colleagues. Purpose. To determine the effectiveness of exchange and upsizing of malfunctioning small-caliber double-J ureteral stents. Materials and methods. 31 patients with malfunctioning cystoscopically placed 6 or 7 French double-J stents underwent exchange and upsizing to a large-caliber 10 French double-J stent between 2013 and 2022. The procedures were performed using a transurethral approach in 28 patients and a transrenal approach in 3 patients. Ureteral obstruction was malignant in 65% and benign in 35% of patients. 48% of patients presented with persistent hydroureteronephrosis and 52% with worsening hydronephrosis. Acute kidney injury was present in 61% of patients at the time of stent malfunction. Therapeutic success was defined as resolution of hydronephrosis and of acute kidney injury if present. Results Double J stent exchange and upsizing was technically successful in 100% of patients with no immediate adverse events. Therapeutic success was achieved in 87% of patients. During follow up at a median of 97 days, two of 27 patients who initially achieved therapeutic success had stent malfunction requiring conversion to percutaneous nephrostomy drainage. Conclusions Exchange and upsizing to large-caliber double-J stents can relieve urinary obstruction and resolve acute kidney injury in patients with malfunctioning small-caliber double-J stents. Large-caliber double-J stents should be considered as a salvage option for patients who wish to continue internal drainage and avoid percutaneous nephrostomy. Hello. My name is Justin Cook, and I am a third-year medical student at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Intraoperative Multivessel Embolization Reduces Blood Loss and Transfusion Requirements Compared to Internal Iliac Artery Balloon Placement During Caesarean Hysterectomy for Placenta Accreta Spectrum by Berman and colleagues. Purpose to evaluate the effectiveness and safety of prophylactic multivessel selective embolization, or MVSE, 
compared to those of internal iliac artery occlusion balloon, or IIABO, placement in patients undergoing cesarean hysterectomy for placenta accreta spectrum. Materials and Methods An institutional review board approved retrospective series was conducted with consecutive patients with placenta accreta spectrum at a single institution between 2010 and 2021. MVSE was performed in a hybrid operating room after cesarean section prior to hysterectomy. IIABO was performed with balloons placed into the bilateral internal iliac arteries, which were inflated during hysterectomy. Median blood loss, transfusion requirements, percentage of cases requiring transfusion, and adverse events were recorded. Results. A total of 20 patients treated with embolization and 34 patients with balloon placement were included. Placenta percreta and previa were seen in 60% and 90% of patients, respectively. Median blood loss in the MVSE group was 713 milliliters, compared to 2,000 milliliters in the IIABO group, with a p-value of less than 0.0001. The median total number of units of packed red blood cell transfusions, 0 versus 2.5, and percentage of cases requiring a transfusion, 20% versus 65%, were less in the MVSE group with a p-value of less than 0.01. A median of four vessels were embolized during MVSE. No major adverse events or non-target embolization consequences were observed. Conclusions Prophylactic MVSE is a safe procedure that reduces operative blood loss and transfusion requirements compared to those of IIABO in patients undergoing cesarean hysterectomy for presumed higher degree placenta accreta spectrum. Hello, my name is Siddharth Venkatraman and I am a fourth year medical student at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled Prophylactic Uterine Artery Embolization in Placenta Accreta Spectrum, an active intervention to reduce morbidity and promote uterine preservation, by Sebastian and colleagues. Purpose, to evaluate the feasibility and safety of early and proactive involvement of interventional radiology in the management of placenta accreta spectrum by performing the cesarean operation and prophylactic uterine artery embolization in the interventional radiology and geography suite as a combined procedure. Materials and Methods this study evaluated the effectiveness and safety of prophylactic uterine artery embolization prior to placental separation in cases of antenatally proven or suspected abnormal placentation. Over a five-year period, 16 consecutive patients with placenta accreta spectrum underwent combined interventional radiology and obstetric intervention. In all cases, cesarean delivery was performed in the interventional radiology and geography suite. Vascular access was obtained prior to surgery with balloon placement into both internal iliac arteries. These balloons were inflated after delivery, followed by uterine artery embolization in 14 of the 16 patients if there was evidence of active postpartum bleeding or inability to deliver the placenta. Results. There was no fetal or maternal mortality and no significant interventional radiology or surgical adverse events. Mean blood loss was 1,900 milliliters. Seven patients, or 44%, underwent hysterectomy. Conclusions. 
in patients with placenta accreta spectrum, cesarean section in the angiography suite preceded by prophylactic balloon placement and followed by uterine artery embolization was feasible, safe, and effective in preventing massive blood loss with a 56% uterine sparing rate. Hello, my name is Chirag Devecha, and I am a second-year medical student at Rosalind Franklin University. I will be reading the abstract titled Midterm Outcomes of Primary and Secondary Use of an Endo-Anchor System for Thoracic and Abdominal Aortic Endovascular Aortic Repair by Abdelhadi and colleagues. Purpose, to assess the safety, technical success, and midterm outcomes of endo-anchor deployment in thoracic endovascular aortic repair, or TVAR, or abdominal endovascular aortic repair, or EVAR. Materials and Methods. This single-institution retrospective study of all endo-anchor procedures was performed from February 1, 2017 to March 30, 2021. All procedures were performed percutaneously by interventional radiologists. Clinical information and outcome data were retrieved from electronic medical records. 50 patients, of which 14% were females and median age was 79 years, underwent endo-anchor procedures with 349 endo-anchors implanted. 33 procedures were primary deployments at initial scent deployment, and 17 were secondary deployments for previous scent deployment. For the primary group of four TVARs and 29 EVARs, indications were prophylactic, hostile neck, hostile distal landing zone, and intra-procedural type 1A endoleaks. For the secondary group of four TVARs and 13 EVARs, indications were graft migration, seal zone expansion without proven endoleak, and proven type 1A endoleak. Results. Median number of endo-anchors deployed per procedure was 7, with a range of 3 to 10. Median time to deploy endo-anchors was 22 minutes, with a range of 8 to 46 minutes. The technical success of endo-anchor was 99.7%. The 30-day mortality rate was 0%. The overall adverse event rate was 6%. Re-interventions were performed in 12% of patients. Median follow-up was 38 months. Overall survival at one to three years was 95% and 85% respectively. Overall freedom from type 1A endoleak at one and three years was 96% and 93% respectively. Conclusions. Endo-anchor procedures are safe with excellent technical success rate and good midterm clinical outcomes. Hello, my name is Emily Barr and I am a fourth year medical student at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine at New Mexico State University. I will be reading the abstract titled Off-Label Use of the 8 French Angioseal for Closure of Greater than 8 French Common Femoral Arterial Access. A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Gozi and colleagues. Purpose. To evaluate the safety of greater than eight French access closures using eight French angioseal. Materials and methods. An electronic search was conducted following the preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analysis 2020 guidelines using Web of Science, Embase, Scopus, and PubMed databases from inception until January 17th. 2022. Actionable and non-actionable bleeding events were defined in conjugation with the Bleeding Academic Research Consortium definition. Prevalence rates with corresponding 95% confidence intervals were calculated using R software version 4.2.2.
Eight articles with 422 patients were included in the analysis. Results. The overall groin adverse event rate was 5.92%, with a 95% confidence interval of 3.01 to 11.34. The most commonly reported adverse events were any bleeding, pseudoaneurysm, and groin hematoma. The least commonly reported adverse events were device failure and vessel occlusion slash stenosis, with adverse event rates of 0.29% and 0.45%, with a 95% confidence interval of 0.01 to 7.41 and 0.02 to 7.74, respectively. No studies recorded events regarding the following adverse events, mortality, infection, deep vein thrombosis, and retroperitoneal hematoma. Moreover, the results showed significant differences based on the sheath size used in actionable bleeding with a p-value of 0.04 and the rate of need for surgical repair with a p-value of less than 0.01. Conclusions. Common femoral artery access with greater than eight French can be effectively closed with the angioseal with comparable outcomes to those of less than eight French. However, a larger access approaching 14 French is associated with a significant increase in morbidity. Further safety is needed, especially for the larger access sizes. Hello, my name is Colin Stanford, and I'm a second year medical student at the Kirk Kikorian School of Medicine at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I will be reading the abstract titled, A Comparison of Histotripsy and Percutaneous Cryoablation in a Chronic Healthy Swine Kidney Model by Coulard and colleagues. Purpose, to compare the safety and efficacy of histotripsy with cryoablation in a chronic human scale, normal porcine kidney model. Materials and methods. 18 female domestic swine were divided evenly into histotripsy and cryoablation treatment arms. A planned 2 to 3 centimeter diameter treatment was performed under ultrasound with histotripsy or ultrasound and CT guidance with cryoablation. Contrast enhanced CT and serum blood analysis were performed immediately post-procedure and on day 7 with either immediate killing or continued survival to day 30 at which time contrast-enhanced CT, serum blood analysis, and necropsy were performed. Animal welfare, treatment zone appearance, procedure-related adverse events, and histopathology of the treatment zones and surrounding tissues were assessed. Results. Histotripsy treatment zones at a mean volume of 8.3 plus or minus 1.9 centimeters cubed were larger than cryoablation zones at a mean volume of 3.9 plus or minus 0.8 centimeters cubed, with a p-value of less than 0.001. At 30 days, histotripsy and cryoblation treatment zone volumes decreased by 96% and 83% on CT, respectively, with a p-value of less than 0.001. Perirenal hematomas were present after 8 of 9, or 89%, of the cryoblation procedures, and 1 of 9, or 11% of the histotripsy procedures, with a p-value of less than 0.001. Active arterial extravasation was present in 4 of 9 cryoblation and no histotripsy animals. All 9 histotripsy animals and 5 of 9, or 56%,
of cryoablation animals had collecting system debris with a p-value of 0.042. Changes in serum creatinine were similar between the groups. Conclusions. Other than the higher rate of bleeding after cryoablation, the safety and early efficacy of histotripsin and cryoablation were comparable for creating treatment zones in a chronic, normal porcine kidney model. We'd like to thank everyone who helped with this episode. My name is Siddhi Hegde. I'm a research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital, and I was your audio editor. The research from this episode appears in the November 2023 issue of JVIR, and you can visit jvir.org for the full papers, other audio content, and much more.